interesting. This is going to be an interesting evening because I have a, a sort of a, an introductory teaching to give, to share. And then later on in the evening, we're going to look at a film together. And so the last portion of the evening will be a film. I'm going to introduce the film and why, how I would like us to approach it. And it's not, you know, we have two films we're going to be showing, one tonight and one tomorrow. One is more of a, a military analogy on leadership. Mine is going to be a little bit different, the one that we're going to look at tonight. And uh, I'm going to talk about that after our break. But I felt in my heart that the first thing I wanted us to think about here was how we actually are proposing to engage this time that we're about to share together. And so I want to talk about this, how I think God is asking us to approach this time that we're going to share. I've already kind of tipped my hand in the prayer. But I think that the first thing, and again, the theme is what? How to be, not, listen, not just how to be a superman, but really it's how to be a superman for God. I need to say that because, you know, supermen are macho and tough. And, and um, what we're talking about is not beating our drums together, you know, and, and banging out and getting all, you know, manly. Uh, if that's a byproduct, fine, you know. Um, but really, the real, the real goal here is to be a superman for God, for God. So our, uh, part of our objective is to strengthen our ability to be, and it's a, you know, to be super for God, to be, to be a difference maker for the Lord in the sphere of influence that he has appointed to us. Again, using that whole Superman analogy, there was this whole idea of a calling and a sphere of influence, an entrustment. And I want to ask you to think about things as we're together. I want you to think about the sphere of entrustment that God has put into your hand this season of your life as a man, and what would it look like to really grow and to take full ownership of that entrustment? What would that look like? I mean, God's calling some of you to step up as fathers in the Lord. We're going to talk about that on, I believe it will be on Friday. I will share on this whole idea. Some of us, God is asking us to step up as older brothers in God, mature men to make the transition out into something of responsibility for people in our lives that we are called to make a difference in, or also for other brothers. I want to talk about that. But the first point here is how, do we, how are we supposed to engage this? And so I want to suggest, and we're going to put this up there. Thanks, Phil. Is that the first thing I want us to do is to determine in our heart to engage this time together and to see it as an opportunity. So I, I want us to make a determination that we are going to engage, contend. A big part of what I'm asking us to do is to contend at this time, to really dig in. I'm challenging you as a brother in Christ to not go through the motions of our time together. But I beseech you by the mercies of the Lord to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is simply our reasonable service in light of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm, I, am, I am asking you to do this. Can you put that first one up? You can't get it up? It's okay. Kyung, where are you, bro? Are you able to help 
I mean, I can do without it, but um, if you, if you, if, when you, when you, I'll tell you what, Luke, you do your best. I know you got kind of stuck up there, you know, and then we'll go for it. We were supposed to have little slides for you, but we're working on it. All right. So, you know, turn with me um, to, if you guys can get it up, can you get Galatians up? On Galatians 6, can that get up there? All right, turn your Bibles to Galatians 6, and look with me at verse 7. And we are going to sort of launch off with this verse. This, many of you know it already. Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The key is that you get there, okay? Get to, get to that. And then, who sow, he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Stay, look at seven, again, look at seven again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, whatever we plant, whatever we plant is what is going to harvest. So what I'm going to suggest here is that God is wanting us to plant something in the Lord together. I want to challenge you to plant. See, it's true negatively and it's true positively. From, you know, we frequently use this, ver this passage here as a, in its negative sense that, you know what, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we're also going to reap. So if we, if we sow sin, we're going to reap a harvest of sin. But I want to suggest that if we sow righteousness, then we're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. And so that the Lord is challenging a lot of us to, to consider engaging this, to plant things together in this time, to plant things so that we can have a harvest. And then secondly, not far behind that, is this whole idea of determining not to be passive or half-hearted. And this, this is a concept, but it's more than a concept, it's an attitude. So while they're trying to, to get the stuff that, I, that we're going to look at, I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Kings 13. 2 Kings 13. And some of us are familiar with this passage. And let me, and let me suggest that as a precursor to us reading this together, 2 Kings 13, that it was Sunday. And I've got to look here and make sure that person I'm about to refer to isn't here. I don't believe you are. But um, I, I was sitting next to a man in church on Sunday. And um, I, you know, this is the end of my, end of my summer, so uh, I'm, you know, we're starting up in the, the fall series here, and I'm going to be you know, preaching for a number of weeks. So I enjoyed this last year. I happened to be sitting in a, in a very d unusual seat that I'm accustomed to sitting. My wife was with me. And I was sitting next to a man. And... Uh, the service started, and I was struck by something. I was sitting next to him, and, and uh, he was, uh, it was like a song, it was a song, it was already, we were almost a song into it. And he was just eating a bagel. Eating a bagel, I mean, just like really cash. Eating, we're all singing, I'm singing, you know, I sing. And, uh, <laughs> And, and, and he's just eating, you know, totally just casual, eating, drinking. 
And then after, after that, you know, we get into the message and, you know, talk about looking, I mean, we're talking about nothing, not, not even a, a glance into the handout, not a, a bond, nothing. It was, it was like, I wanted to, I wanted to turn him and say, why are, why are you here? No, I, I didn't say that. I'm glad he was there, I guess, but um, I was struck by the absolute passivity. This was a complete determination on the part of this guy to just basically completely disengage. I mean, he was there, and he was kind of listening, and he was amused. But there was no real engagement. Now, my point in saying that is it struck me that if this is what we plant, we're not going to get much. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be open. If we ask, it will be given. But if we just sit back and say, God, if you want to bless me, or I'm really, I mean, I don't know, something about the whole demeanor, something about the whole casualness. And I know our church is set up to be casual. And I know, we know it's important for us to welcome people in. And I know we value anonymity and give them people a long time to come to God. I mean, I know all of that. And yet at the same time, in light of, because this was on my mind, I was struck by the idea that someone could be so... Di- I, saying, I mean, I know you're here, so you came for a reason, but you're never going to get anything from God that way. It's impossible. Now, maybe God will be extraordinarily merciful, and he's known to be gracious, but I'll tell you something. Here's the deal, guys. I'm convinced. We, a lot of times, determine the span of God's investment into our life on the basis of our attitude and our willingness to contend for things. And I personally think it does matter how we sing. I think it matters how we listen. I think it matters how we approach a message. I think it matters. I really do. I think that it, it actually matters to God. In 2 Kings 13, there's this example. Prophet Elijah, he became sick, it says. And we've talked about this before, but I want to read it through. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Elijah had become sick with the illness which he would die. Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him, and he wept over his face, and he said, Oh, my father, father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. He was, there's a whole extensive story behind his concern for the loss of Elijah. He's, he's afraid. He's afraid he's going to lose the man of God, and that the nation cannot afford to lose him. He personally feels he cannot afford to lose him. Have you ever had someone in your life where the thought of losing them made you very afraid? And, and this king... Joash was afraid. I cannot afford to lose you. And it says that Elijah said to him, take a bow, take a bow and some arrows. And he took himself a bow. And Elijah must have, must have been weak. And he said, take a bow and take some arrows. And then he said to the king, put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on it. And Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. See the, see the picture of the king and, with the bow. And Elijah's old hand, he puts his hand on his hand. And he says, open the east window. And he opened it. And then Elijah said, shoot. And he shot the arrow. And the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows, the other arrows. And he said, and he took them. The king took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground. No, see it. Strike, strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times. And 
Notice what Elijah says. It's a sorrow. It says, then he got mad. He got mad at him. He says, oh, he's sick. He's dying. He tells him, strike the ground. And he strikes it. But he must have done something. A lot of people believe he kind of just, just kind of softly went with the arrows. Kind of just, you know, tentatively banged them on the ground. One, two, three. And it says that the man of God got mad. Elijah was mad. He said, you should have struck it five times or six then you would have struck Syria until you had destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times. Now, now do you see what's going on? See, the, the, what he was saying is, you were too casual in the way that you approached your deliverance, in the way that you approached what God was asking you to do in this key moment. You were too casual. You should have put your heart into it. You should have done it with all your mind. You should have done it more than just a little bit, a couple of times. You should have done it a lot of times. If you would have done it, God would have moved. It was a reflection of a passivity that, that, he, that it angered the prophet because he knew, Elijah knew, that it was a picture of something else. And God's hand was not going to move completely to deliver. And brothers, I want to suggest from the outset that when God tells you to strike the ground with the arrows, strike them. And not just one, two, or three times. Strike them with all your might. Go at this thing. Take it very seriously. Refuse to be passive. Engage. Fully, not half-heartedly, but with all your might. For whatever deliverance God is trying to work in our lives, whatever, listen, breakthrough point God is wanting to establish, perhaps over an area that the enemy has had us contained in, that it is possible that this is a season where God is going to prophetically and move with his spirit in your life in such a way that you are going to experience a point of breakthrough. And so I'm, what I'm suggesting is do not be like the lazy man whose poverty comes on him like an armed man in Proverbs 24. But instead, engage this material. I was thinking about, um, there's another verse. I'm going to have you guys for this session hopping back and forth in the scripture. Please try to do it with me. In, in Mark, look at Mark 5. Mark 5, and I'll just kind of say it a couple times so everybody can get there. Mark 5, verse 24. Look with me there. Again, driving home this point. In Mark 5, verse 24, we see a woman. She had a disease. We often refer to her as the woman with the issue of blood. It was a blood disease. And it says that in verse 24, that so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him. They were thronging him. So Jesus was being, you know, just sort of surrounded by people. And a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And she had suffered many things from many different physicians. Many people had tried to cure her in her day with their rudimentary medical capacities and if her situation had only worse, worsened they had been unable to make her better in fact she had spent we're told all that she had all of her resources had gone into trying to get herself healed and it says that she was no better but rather grew worse and when she heard about Jesus she came behind him in the crowd touched his garment and I want you to see this phrase if I only may touch his what his garment if I only may touch it Touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And this whole idea, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. 
Here was a woman who was determined to break through and touch him in a way that caused healing to flow out. Now, many of us have heard that probably said, some of us have heard it said a lot, maybe some of us have never heard it. What I'm suggesting is there is a way of reaching for God that releases healing into our life. And I don't understand it. It's not a formula. It's an attitude. Brothers, it's an attitude. It's, an, it's a way of approaching God that somehow, in fact, when Jesus turns around, he says, who touched me? He's indicating that everybody had touched. They said, well, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about, Lord? And he says, no, 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 somebody, I mean, they touched me in a way that caused, that, now, <laughs> what do we do with this theologically? I mean, she touched, somebody touched me in a way that caused virtue to flow out of me, and they were healed. There is a way of laying hold of the Lord that causes, that causes God to respond. And I want to I challenge you in the name of the Lord to lay hold of the Lord. And I'm going to have this, this verse put up next time, but right now I, I didn't give it to them in time. So this is, this is going to be a kind of a theme verse that I'm gonna, we're going to look at next here, guys. Isaiah. Look at the, Isaiah 64 with me. Keep in mind the woman with the issue of blood. Look at Isaiah 64. Just wanna, I'm just going to want to lay this groundwork here. Isaiah 64, verse 7. This verse right now is the verse for me personally for this retreat. Prophet says, There is no one who calls on your name. There is no one who stirs himself to take hold of you. 64-7, Isaiah. What I believe God is asking us to do here, you guys, this is what I believe we are supposed to do. We are supposed to stir ourselves to take hold of God. I believe this strongly. We are to stir ourselves to take hold of God. The prophet says there is no one who stirs himself to take hold of God. We are called here, I believe, this these, day, these hours that we're investing, the challenge is to stir ourselves to take hold of God. There is none that stirs themselves to take hold of God. I think about that woman. I think about what God is asking us to do. Stir our heart to take hold of him. The next two days... Don't do it half-heartedly. Don't engage the material half-heartedly. Stir your heart to take hold of God. Please, please, in, in the Lord's name, I ask you to not go through the motions of our time together. According to your faith, let it be done to you. If we draw near to God, He what? He will draw near to us. Something about that phrase, statement took on a different meaning. According to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your willingness to lay hold and to stir yourself up, according to your willingness, let it be done to you. Let it be done to you. Let it be done to me, Lord. We need power to do this thing right. We need power 
It is a fierce world. It is a fierce culture. It is powerful. The lust, the flesh, the devil, the pride of life, lust of the eyes. Man, we're getting bombarded on every side. Every side is powerful. It's a powerful war that we're in. And I'm telling you, it's hard to be righteous. And I don't know, what does that mean? It's, it's hard to live in a way that is right before God and pleasing to the Lord. The Lord knows this. He wants to give us grace to prevail. I believe God's will is not simply for us to prevail in a kind of way. I believe God wants to give us strength to be overcomers. And um, I'm under no illusions, brothers. It's hard. It is hard out there. It's hard because as many of you guys constantly have to be on computers. I mean, it's hard. It, honestly, it's hard enough for me just, just being, you know, my age and having passion. And the kind of culture we live in, it's temptations left and right. And then on top of it, to have to deal with stuff, I mean, you have to be ruthless. We're going to talk about that. The kind of ruthlessness that is required in terms of your own management of yourself to be able to actually prevail. But I want to say the starting point, how shall a young man cleanse his way, O Lord? But by taking heed according to your word, the starting point, is what? It is to pursue. It is to stir yourself up to take hold of God. That's what I'm asking you to do. Stir yourself up to take hold of God. I was thinking about another passage. This is an interesting thing Jesus said. Look with me in Matthew 11. We're picking right on this thought. We're going to sit with it. We're going to dig into it. We're going to go deep on it for a bit. In Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, the non-pacifist. And Jesus says one of the most unusual things that comes out of his mouth. I was talking to, before this meeting, I went, I, my son's soccer team from their, their high school, he goes to a Christian high school in Pacifica called Alma Heights. And uh, their whole team and their coach was, was there. And, we, and we, I went there early and, and they, they let myself and another pastor play with them. And then um, afterwards, we were, I was talking to them about the challenge of being a Christian athlete or an athlete who believes in Christ. And one of the things that we shared was the fact that Jesus, although he was tender and meek and kind, don't ever underestimate the fact that he was also fierce and extraordinarily focused, absolutely tenacious and fully committed. I was saying, we do have to fight with one hand tied behind our back, back no question about it. And I've clearly stepped over that line many times and not been Christ-like. The irony was, I was driving up here trying to get directions, right? Here I am. My first thing I was going to teach those guys was make sure that you respond in a Christ-like fashion. I was going to read to them from Peter, do not return evil for evil, but blessing, right? And so here I'm driving, and I'm, I'm down the bottom of the hill, and I'm on the phone talking to one of those guys to try to give me directions because it was really hard to find. It was hard to find it, and then it was hard to find their field. They just happened to be at Mount Hermon, the same place. And, and, some, and some guy rolls, who's on the other side of the street, I'm, I'm kind of like crawling, trying to make a right-hand turn because I need to turn around, and I'm just on the phone. He must have thought I was just kind of like oblivious. He, he, he yells at me outside the window, you idiot. And I wasn't prepared. I was prepared to teach, but I wasn't prepared to respond. <laughs> and I, I'll tell you, uh, 
I, I didn't swear because I don't swear. But I have my own kind of swearing. <laughs> and, and for me, it's not a good thing. Because actually, this word in our house is not allowed with my kids. And so we're not allowed to say these, this word in our house. And it's, like, it's one of these weird rules. No, no biblical mandate or anything. In fact, But we're not allowed to call our, each one of us stupid. It's unacceptable. For us, that's a swear word, okay? It doesn't mean it's never, I'm not, it doesn't mean I haven't heard it. It's interesting. But I have. I have heard it. And, but I couldn't help, it was like, here, I was totally unprepared. And so the first thing that came out of my mouth was, you stupid idiot, back. I'm just being honest. And I, I was like, I don't know if I said idiot, but I said, I definitely, I said, I said, shut up, is what I said to him. And... I'm being honest with you right now. That might not be a lot, but my spirit was so... And I was like, oh, man. Lord, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even there yet. And then I've already blown it, you know, in my own way. Here was, there was a point number one. Do not respond with cursing for cursing, right? But, you know, he injured my pride, and I wasn't ready, and I, respond, I reacted. And what came out of me was defending my pride. I escalated quick. It was like, boom, boom, back to you, back to you, back to you. But that is not the type of, of activity and zealousness that God wants out of us. He wants a different kind of zeal and warrior-like spirit. It's radical, but in a totally different way. And that's a setup to what the passage I want us to look at here. What did I say? I told you guys what, Matthew what, 11? Matthew 11, uh, Jesus is talking. Uh, we're going to look at verse 7. He's saying, and as, as they departed, Jesus began to say, and I'm reading out the New King James Version, which is our most, the version we usually use. Um, and Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, John the Baptist, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Some reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments and nice clothes. And then Jesus makes this statement, because John, we know, was rugged. And he wore animal clothes. And he was scary. And he was fierce. And Jesus said, what did you go out to see? He goes, you didn't see somebody who was dressed up in clothes that you would go, whoa, this is very nice, very impressive. He said, what, what you saw was, you know, he says, those kind of guys, no, he says, no, those people, he says, you can see them in, in the higher class places. They dwell in palaces. And he wasn't actually, now listen, I don't think he's putting down dressing nice. I think he's making a statement here. If you want to see people like that, he said, he says, go to the king's palace. He says, but you know what you saw? He says, what did you go out to see? I'll tell you what you saw. You want to know what you saw? You saw a prophet of God. Now, I tell you this, you didn't just see a prophet. You saw somebody who was more than a prophet. You know why he was more than a prophet? Truly, he was the last of the prophets. However, Jesus says he was more than a prophet. Why? Because he had the introduction to the king. The final prophet. In that, that sense. John is the last of the old and the first of the new. He is the bridge. He, he bridges the two testaments, really. But, but Jesus says, what did you go out to see? What do you think you want to see? Some... Some soft guy? 
I'm telling you what you saw was a prophet with the anointing of God. He, he was fierce. Jesus goes on to say this. He says this, For it is he whom it is written. I tell you this right now. It was spoke of him before, generations before. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and he will prepare the way before you. Assuredly, I tell you something. Among those who've been born of women up to this time, there has not risen one, not one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, I tell you, is greater than he. Now, that statement, if we were doing an exhaustive study of this, we'd really dig into this. But, but really, truly, John qualified there too because he was part of the, he had embraced the king. So he was part of both of those two. He, he toggles back and forth in that verse. John is both. John is both the last prophet who introduces Messiah and he's also a believer in Messiah and therefore he's great either way you look at it. But that's not the point. And from the days of John the Baptist, Jesus says until now, here's the verse that is a trip. From the days of the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, I tell you, I tell you this, I tell you, he says, it suffers violence. And the violent take it by, what, who is, Jesus. Vi what? The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now that is an interesting statement. What is he saying? It's not the way of ease. Notice the contrast here between, and then he goes on in verse 12. Again, in that verse 12, he says, the violent take it by force. So notice the contrast between the ease that he talks about in the palaces of the kings and the forcefulness of John the Baptist. What is he trying to say? The kingdom of God is not the domain of the passive. It's not physical. He's not talking physical violence. Jesus refused to, be, to do it. Now, on the other hand, Jesus clearly wasn't a total pacifist because Peter was armed and swung that sword and Jesus didn't tell him, what are, you, what are you doing with the sword? You know, he didn't say that. He knew he had it. He said, put it away. If you keep that thing doing what you're doing, you're, you're going to die. Because if you live by the sword, you'll die by it. In fact, one of the, okay, I'm not going off on this. I'm not going to go way off on this too far. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus had more than a few times he could have corrected the centurions. He said, one thing you must do. Resign from the Roman army. And then you will be righteous. But if, in truth, as we will see later on Saturday morning, the people he con commended more than almost any other group. In fact, I would probably say there is no group that emerges more in a more outstanding way according to the judgment of Jesus than centurions. You do a study of the centurions in the scripture. Jesus said there's no greater faith in Israel than this man. And that was hyperbole, but it was something. So what I'm, what I'm going to suggest to you is that, and there's a reason, I believe, and I'm not going to reveal what I think that reason is until Saturday morning. But, the, but Jesus talked about centurions in ways that were very noble, and he clearly regarded them in a way he never told them, stop being a centurion. That's a requirement for following me. He could have. On the other hand, Jesus himself refused to lead any type of warfare. He was not violent, except if you interpret the fact that he, he did engage in some degree of violence when he, physicality at least, when he overturned the tables in the temple and physically cast people out. Now, I am not making a case for physicality. What I am gonna suggest, however, is that when Jesus uses this term, which it seems like, wow, that's just a real, unusual thing for Jesus to say. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's filled with blesseds and peacemakers and Jesus is meek and come unto me. And, and there's, all, there's a big part of Jesus that is 
peaceful and loving and kind. And yet there's another part of him that's fierce. And what he says here, the domain of the kingdom is violent. But it's a, it's a, and what he was trying to get at was this way of the Lord, this kingdom way is not a passive way. It's an active way. It's a zealous way. It requires intensity and commitment and a willingness to die to things. It may not, listen, my allegiance is not to the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or even to my country that I love. Ultimately, my allegiance is to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, I may have a leaning, but ultimately that lean, <laughs> yeah, you were laughing, it's true, and you know, those who know me know what it is, but that's not the point. It's not the point. The point is that at the end of the day, my allegiance is to the king. And so is this where our allegiance should be. The kingdom of the Lord. The kingdom of God. And, I'm, and listen, what, what are we trying to get at? Remember, is there one among us who will stir himself up to take hold of God? Can we understand that the breakthroughs in God, the power of God, will not come through passivity? It will not come through the folded hands. And, and the passive approach to engaging even our material. I am suggesting that you're, you're going to waste your opportunity. We will waste our opportunity if we come halfway into, this, into this, these two days. We will waste it. Do not, do not waste the opportunity to interact with God. Take hold of the Lord. Become violent with with this thing that we call the kingdom. Last little dive into this idea. Book of Joshua. Look with me. Joshua 18. And again, you can check some of these passages out later. You could have a ton of discussions around them. Um, you can revisit them. Joshua 18, verse number 1. Now, brothers, I'm going to say it. Some of us have ground that God wants us to take. Period. It's not about our career. It's not about its ground that God wants for us to take. Now, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Right? And it says they set up a tabernacle of meeting there. The land was subdued before them. But what, what was the case? It was, a lot of the land had been subdued. Here, brothers, again, you've got to see this as a picture of our life as a believer, as a Christian man. There are areas of our life that is subdued. We've, we've possessed, some of, the, some of the promise of God for our life has been possessed. But I'm going to submit that a lot of, there's a lot of area that is yet to be possessed. He goes on to say that there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes who had not received their inheritance. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land? How long will you, look at the phrase, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord, the God of our fathers, has given you? What he was saying was, is you have been passive in what God is wanting to do in your life is in people. How long will you neglect to possess the land 
the promise that God has placed over your life. Neglect to me speaks of passivity. It speaks of apathy. It speaks of being distracted by other things. It is neglecting. It is not giving priority to the first things. Now, let's say this right off the bat. I commend you in the name of the Lord for being here because it's a statement about your desire to pursue the things of God. But I'm going to challenge you to listen for God. What is the Lord trying? In fact, this is going to be, just stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Stay focused. I want to, I want to say that here now is to me part of what will, this will look like. Okay, I've just told you, do not be passive. I've said God's saying, possess land. Uh, I'm saying God's saying, smite the ground. I'm saying God's saying, lay hold of the garment. I'm saying God says, who, who will stir, stir themselves up to take hold of me? Okay, so how, that, how is that practically going to happen in our time together? I want to say three things that I think um, you can do, think about doing, that will enhance the likelihood of this happening in our time together. And the first thing I want to say has to do with this, and we're going to put this up there. It says, I want you to listen for the word of the Lord. I want you to listen for the voice of God. I want you to listen for the Spirit calling you. Lord, we want to listen for you. We want to listen for you. You have a word for us. One more time, take your Bible, 1 Samuel 3, Old Testament. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 3. Verse 1. Just let's walk through this together, guys, okay? says that now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Eli was the, the priest, the man of God at the time. But he, by the way, he was a man of God who was a failure as a father. He was a good priest. He didn't have a good diet. Check it out. That's all I'm going to say. Check it out. He didn't take care of his physical man. But he also neglected it. And I think there's a statement there. He neglected his sons, who the Lord calls wicked. And he neglected his body. But that's not why I had us read this passage. I was not going to go there. But at the same time, it's there. The word of the Lord was, listen to this, that verse, verse 1. This is a very interesting verse. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, this is connected to what I've been telling you about listening for the voice of the Lord. Because what this, now again, I'm spiritualizing some things here, but I believe we have freedom to do so. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There are times in our lives where the word of the Lord is rare, but there are times where the word of the Lord comes. And it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Sometimes, and it's been fascinating, if you study church history, there are times where there's amaz amazing revivals, outpourings of healings, just extraordinary miracles that are happening, and there'll be long swaths of time, sometimes generations, multiply, where nothing's going on, and it seems like the word of the Lord is rare. Then all of a sudden, something like the 1960s will happen, 
And then out of nowhere, there'll be this, this extraordinary revival where a bunch of hippies who are looking for ultimate peace and getting disillusioned turn in mass to Jesus. And there's a movement of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that movement is what ultimately created whatever we did here tonight. That's how the music of the generation ultimately found its way into the church, first acoustically with some hippies who probably were still smoking pot half the time, <laughs> starting to realize that maybe the answer to peace was Jesus. And some of these guys now are the leaders of the church movement. And that's one of the reasons why our music has changed so much from an organ because they brought their music with them, and a lot of churches didn't. This is just like totally tangential here, but a lot of churches, a lot of churches, they weren't welcome in. They weren't welcome in because they didn't. They looked bad, and some of them smelled bad. And the few, and some, of, but some of the pastors recognized that God was actually doing something. That the Spirit was moving in revelation. And some of these guys actually said, you know what? I know they're not dressed right. I know they, they've got a lot of stuff wrong with them, to put it mildly. And they make a lot of people feel uncomfortable. But there's something about the purity of their love for God that is just beautiful. And you've got to remember, these were, this was an idealistic generation that wanted to change the world. They were, in a way, rebelling against the hypocrisy that they saw and, there's, and that's an easy play to call it that. But a lot of them, listen, were, were not materialistic, and they were, not, they, were, they were actually very idealistic. And when they got disillusioned, because that's what ends up happening here in our beautiful city, the center, the epicenter of it, where all of a sudden Golden Gate Park, and you know where it is at Hay Street, all of a sudden it got dark in there. It went from, ooh, this is fantastic, daisies, and to people getting raped, strung out on drugs, Darkness, addictions, I mean, just bad stuff. And a lot of them got disillusioned, and that's what opened their hearts to Jesus. But they didn't lose that idealism. Now, personally, stay with me. The Lord, I believe, I believe for some of us, the word of the Lord wants to come. Notice, stay with this. It came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in a place that when his eyes had begun to grow so dim, he couldn't see. He was going blind. Before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he answered him and said, Here am I. And it says that he runs to Eli and he says, Here, here, here am I. Um, did you call for me? He said, I didn't call for you. Go back to sleep. Because Samuel had been dedicated to the Lord. And in a way, Eli, listen, Eli was successful not with his own children, but with his son in the faith. It's interesting. Sam, he succeeds with Samuel. Even though his own sons, he fails. I don't know what to do with that. Except to say there was a, there was a heart in this man that was kind, and he loved Samuel. And it says, he says, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Right? Says it, so he says it again. He, he, the Lord called to him again. Samuel. So Samuel rose. He hears his name. Samuel. Samuel rose, went to Eli, he says, here I am, what do you want? I'm here, what do you, do you call me, what do you want? And he said, I didn't call you, my son, I told you, go back to sleep. Now Samuel, did, notice that verse, 7, interesting. 
Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. There, listen, he didn't know how to recognize the voice of the Lord in his life. Can some of you hear that? There are degrees of hearing. There are ways of hearing God. Notice, verse 8, And the Lord called to Samuel again the third time, and so he arose and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you did call me. And now it, the, Eli perceives something. He's, he perceives the Lord had called the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be that if he calls you, this is what I want you to say, Speak, Lord. Brothers, hear it. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered and he says, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm going to do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In other words, I'm going to do something amazing. And in that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. I'm t I, I'm, it's coming to a point of judgment. I'm cleaning house, is what he's saying. Because his sons were making the house of God corrupt. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he, know he knows about it and he's not doing anything about it. Because his sons have made themselves vile and he did not restrain. What did he not do? His sons have made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. He's reproved for his unwillingness to discipline. And that's, that's, that's something that, as a pastor, as a father, I, I hear. And there's always a temptation to let things slide that need to be addressed by God. And brothers, if there are things that God brings to your mind that he wants addressed, you must listen and you must respond. Or else something of what God meant for you to be will never come to what it was supposed to be. It will die. This whole thing is about responding to God. Again, renounce passivity in your body language, in the way that you're approaching things. Listen well for the voice of God. It's interesting because you know what happens at the end of that? Check it out. It says that Samuel, look at Samuel, it says here, that therefore I have sworn, he tells him what he's going to do. The house of Eli is going to be, just we'll follow it through to the end. So Samuel laid down until morning and they opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli what, what the Lord had told him. He didn't want to tell him. You know why? He loved Eli. He loved the old man. He loved his mentor. And he didn't want to tell him because it was not a good word that God gave him. Basically, God was telling him, Eli's house is ending and, and you're getting ready to step up because now the voice of the Lord is coming to you. And when it comes, you have to, you have to respond. Notice, it says... That Samuel laid there, and it says, Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, here, and he, now he's, here I am, yes, it's me. And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, all the things that he said to you. Hmm. Then Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing. Notice the reaction of Eli. Hmm. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Let him do what, he, what seems good to him. That's interesting. 
And notice what it says. From that point on, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and, and none of his words, and the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, his words started to have an, a, a power attached to them. They, they, God, there was, listen, there was weight behind them. There was the, the God carried um, the picture. God carries those words and gives them life. Now, again, what are we talking about here? My point is that the Spirit needs to be listened for. And I'm suggesting to you that part of the way that we're supposed to engage this time together, whether it's, listen, whether it's me teaching a Bible lesson, sharing it together, whether it's somebody else, whether it's, whether it's watch, listen to me, whether it's watching a movie that's not overtly Christian, I'm not suggesting it's, it's anti-Christian, but I'm, ask, I'm telling you, Listen for the voice of the Lord, because the, voice, the Lord is speaking. The, a, lot of, a lot of prayer has gone. Right now, people are praying for this meeting. Wives are praying. Men are praying. People are praying for this gathering. Prayer teams, pray. people are praying. And I believe the word of the Lord is going to go forth. Speak, Lord, for your servant ears. Listen for the voice of God. And then right behind it, you guys, number two, Write things down, okay? Uh, please. I know. It's like, man, why did I got to go pay for something and then they're going to make me, make me act like I'm in school? No one's going to do that to me. Watch it, bro. Watch it. Because if God is saying to do it and you don't do it, you got a problem. And I'm not saying the Lord said you have to. What the Lord did say, I believe, you're not supposed to be passive. And I'm suggesting that, look, I'm not saying, some of you are fantastic, copious note-takers. Some of you might not be. Get the pen out anyway. And you know what? If it's one sentence of conviction from the Lord, then jot that thing down and sit on it. Think about it. Ruminate on it. Meditate on it. Because I have a suspicion that if we are saying it doesn't mean enough to me to write it down, then don't expect God to bring it to pass. There's something about the, the very act, of, and, and I would add to that, be open to communicating that if you feel in your heart that you're supposed to. But I guess what I'm trying to say, I am saying that this is not just us learning about a God who used to say good things. I'm saying it's about learning about God's word for us here in the present now. Now, the Lord has things to say to us about our life right now that are important, essential, and powerful. And God wants to do it. So write it, write it down. I'm, obviously, I caught a lot of you off, off guard, so don't. But take serious. What did we say at the beginning? How we smite the ground is going to be connected to the degree of breakthrough that I would rather go overboard and, and be over serious than to play it casual and miss it. I'd rather take it more serious. Maybe say a little more than I was supposed to. Fine. God, what do we say? God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we reap. We hit that ground hard with our arrows. Who knows? The breakthrough. You could have had it. You could have had it. God wanted to give it to you, but you played it casual. And you squandered it. 
and you will not get what he wanted you to have. Is there anyone who will stir themselves up to take hold of the Lord? Amen. Yeah, I like that. All right. Speak the word and write it. Last thing. Along the way, consider consider actions. Now, this one sounds like you're in some seminar, but I want to say it anyway. Okay? Consider fleshing out the word of the Lord as to what actually would it mean to act on what I'm feeling in my heart God is saying to me, okay, that's good. I'm, I've got a sense the Lord is speaking to me about something. Okay, well, wrestle. Um, wrestle with that. Thinking about Jacob. Jacob grappled with the Lord. He grappled with the Lord. He grappled with, with it. He wrestled with God. And God gave him a new name. Your name is no longer Jacob. You've prevailed with God. You are Israel. Perhaps God want, will leave. Listen, perhaps some of us will leave with a new name. Maybe, maybe our things we're supposed to wrestle with and we are to put them down. What it is that God is asking us, asking us to implement in response to what it is we're being convicted by. Because do not be like the person who looks, James says, in the mirror, looks at what he needs to do, sees it, recognizes it, ah. Oh, and then walks away and does nothing about it. He says, don't do that. Don't be like that man. Don't be like that man. So now we're talking about steps, aren't we? We're talking about first thing, Lord, you know, I'm going to listen for you, Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant ears. Then I'm going to write down the vision that is yet for an appointed time, Habakkuk. And as I write it down, I'm going to think about what it means. What are the, what are the words that the Lord is speaking to me? And then what is it along the way that I'm supposed to do about what he... And then that's when you, we share them with people. We, we say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm sensing God saying something to me here. You know, and I'm, I'm, maybe, I'm not sure maybe, maybe what, how I'm supposed to respond to that. But I'm listening, and I'm thinking, and I'm open, and I'm telling God I'm serious, and I'm not playing around. I mean what business when I'm here, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to smite the ground, and I'm going to stir myself up to take hold of the Lord. Isaiah, the year that King Uzziah died, the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord was, who will go out for us? Is there someone who, who will step up? Isaiah said, I can't do it. He said, the Lord touched him. I'm a man of unclean lips. The Lord touches him. You might say, that's not me. I'm, I got dirty hands, dirty eyes. Holy Spirit, clean me. Clean me. The Lord touches him with the coals, a symbol. You're anointed. And he says, oh, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm open. I'm ready. I'm willing. By the way, notice it was the year it was the year that King Uzziah died that the word of the Lord came, comes to Isaiah. Something dies before the word of the Lord. Something dies and something lives. It's about it, think about it. 
What has to die for the word of the Lord to live? Is there a man who will stir himself up and say, I want to take hold of you, Lord? Lord Jesus, as we, as we bring this session, this session here to its, its uh, closure point, it really is simply an opening of a portal. Um, it's not really an ending. It's really the end of the beginning. And again, we affirm, we affirm our willingness to engage you. We stated clearly that this battle that we call the spiritual battle of life, it, it is not about flesh and blood, nor the power that we possess. It's not might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It is by your spirit working in us, Lord, bottom line. Bottom line, we know it. And yet, between your spirit, there is also something that we are called to do attitudinally to to have the movement of God in our life. And so I pray right now that we would stir ourselves up to take hold of you, that we would compel ourselves to listen for the voice of the Lord that will surely come as tomorrow's day follows this night. Surely the Lord's word will come to him who hath an ear to hear. Let him hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. Lord, let us hear. Let us hear. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Who will go for me? Here am I, Lord. Send me. If you're willing to use us, Lord, we're willing to go. We're willing to be the man that you want us to be. Help us. If you will help us, Lord, we'll do it. But we, knew we, need, we know we need you. We know it. We know it. So much do we know it, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would stir our hearts. Stir our hearts in this hour, Lord. Let the word of the Lord come forth with my Lord as we unify our heart towards you. And I just really, I pray for this, Lord. This is the business of God. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And we mean business, Lord. We mean business. We pray to receive from your hand. And this time together, we ask it. We ask for the blessing of God. Be gracious unto us, Lord. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. For I am a man of unclean lips, Lord. Have mercy, a man with unclean eyes and unclean hands. But if you are willing, God, cleanse and renew. Ah, oh, revitalize and give confidence, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord of hosts. Yes, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes, Lord, we confirm it before you, God. Let it be so. Let it be so. More than emotions, Lord. More than emotions. Yes, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.